I remember the first time that I heard the news that my, my parents would actually help with this news. They, they threw a, a party, an end-of-the-year party for my eighth-grade class. And this wasn't just any kind of party. This was a dance party. And as an eighth-grader, that was the greatest news I had ever heard. Because we were going to dance. That had never happened before at my school. And so uh, I had to get ready. I remember picking out the clothes for that day. In fact, I remember a lot of things about the dance. I don't remember much about school in those last few months. Uh, But I, I, I mostly remember preparing to dance. Because I, I didn't know much about dancing. I hadn't been to a dance. Uh, uh, but I had watched enough movies to know that you don't want to go out on the dance floor and not know what you're doing, right? And so I, I studied dance as best as I could. I, you know, I, I watched some MTV. And then I'd go into my room and I'd stand in front of the mirror. And that's where I learned to do the running man. In front of the mirror... Me dancing, can't help but think, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utter meaningless, everything is meaningless. Now, I'm not sure about this, but I I, I think I can be safe to say that, that the teacher of Ecclesiastes wrote this right after watching a junior high boy dancing in front of the mirror. I think that might be the case. I could just see him looking at 13 year old me and saying, I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Is there anything more like chasing after the wind than doing the running man, the standing still in front of a mirror all by yourself? Now, I I love that. I love that phrase, chasing after a wind. I think that's a great way to talk about futility, to talk about meaningless, vanity, And that's actually where our passage begins in the book of Ephesians. If you have a Bible, I'd love it if you'd join me in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 17. And and you can find that in the Pew Bibles on page 999. You see, this this is a great passage. This is a very descriptive passage, actually. There's a lot going on in this passage. You know, you just read it. But the way that this starts, the way that this passage starts is with futility. It says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Don't live in futility. He's saying don't live as the Gentiles do. Now, what we're going to see is in this passage, Paul is going to set up a a comparison. He's going to compare two types of people. But one thing I want to point out is that he's not comparing Gentiles to Christians. In fact, he's writing to a group of Gentiles. They are Gentile Christians. And he's saying to the Gentiles, don't live like Gentiles. I I have a feeling that would sound a little bit offensive to them. In fact, one of the commentators, as I, as I studied for this passage, he said that, that the best way for us to understand how that might sound in their ears in the first century, would be to say it like this. Hey, Americans, no longer live as the Americans. And if that kind of feels like, hey, that's the point. That's what what he's saying. Stop living the way everyone else lives. 
Stop living the way the world lives. You have been made new. You are different. And all of Ephesians is about this new identity that he's given us, that that we have a new identity that is no longer about Jew and Gentile or all the other uh, things that separate us. It is about the fact that we are in Christ. We are made new. And so he's going to give us two types of people. And so I want to set up this, uh, this dichotomy for you. And, it, and I want to show you all that goes on in this passage. And there's a lot to get down, so write fast if you're taking notes, all right? Uh, it begins with futility. The, the one type of person, the person living outside of, of, of being in Christ, not living in Christ, okay? By the way, they're Christians. He's talking to believers, but they're not living like it. They live in futility, uh, they're darkened minds. Uh, they, they are separated from the life of God. Okay? They, they're, it's because of ignorance. Um, they've hardened their hearts. Uh, they're insensitive. They've lost all sensitivity, it says. Uh, they've given themselves to sensuality. They've uh, impurity, greed. But on, on the other hand, we're to live in truth. We're to live in truth. Now, uh, theirs is corrupted minds. Because it's deceitful. But you, Christian, is to be like God. This is, you've been made new uh, in righteousness and holiness. You know, instead of speaking falsehood, we are to speak truth. Instead of anger, uh, we're to, to make peace. We're not to let the sun go down on that anger. Because that's where the devil gets his foothold. And sure enough, stealing is to be turned into transformed into becoming useful and making a contribution and sharing that contribution. Beautiful illustration of redemption. That unwholesome language, the language that tears people down, that language is to instead build people up. All bitterness, all rage, all anger, all brawling, all slander and all malice is to be transformed into being kind to one another, compassionate and forgiving like God in Christ forgave you. That's a lot to talk about. There are 34 different things here, each of them deserving of their own sermon. And so uh, either we're going to turn this into a a 34-week series. What do you think, Ryan? Is that no? No? Okay, okay. Okay, so... Instead, let's try to figure out what the common denominator is between these two things. And that's, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to look for in this passage. And, uh, and I want you to listen to the way that Paul uh, begins each of these two things, each of these two sides. He begins the futility. He is, he's saying their, their futility is in their thinking, right? And... In verse 18, it says that they're darkened in their understanding. And it's all because of ignorance. In verse 20, on the positive side, he said, you learned something else when you heard about Christ and were taught in him. You see, all of these, all of these things, the common denominator that leads to each of these lists, the thing out of which all of this flows is a mind that is set on Christ or not. It all flows out of our mind. You see, what he's saying is instead of chasing the wind, 
there is a better way. There is a, even a better thing to chase. You see, uh, our message for today is that what Paul wants to tell us and what, what we have to learn today is that we need to, to revision our minds. That it's our minds that we need to think differently about. That we need to understand that we need a new vision for our mind. In fact, we need to renew our minds. This is something that... that Paul talks about, the Bible talks about a bunch, right? Uh, one of the most well-known places is in Romans 12, chapter 2. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Okay? Change, be different. Become new by the renewing of your mind. It's in the renewing of our mind. And this renewing is a, an ongoing process. In fact, even a daily process. And we're going to see that I think what Paul's telling us here is that this needs to be a daily thing. And yet, this is what changes us when we renew our mind. You see, the reason that our mind needs to be renewed is that in in our original wiring, okay, in the the alpha version of your mind... uh, there was, there's a problem that happened, right? It got corrupted. Uh, it, 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 it's all because of deceitful desires and all of those things. Uh, but there's a problem. And that's why we need to change. That's why we need something different. And so to, today I want to ask the question, um, what is the main problem that we face with our mind? Okay? And I'm talking about the main problem. And then we're going to ask the question, what would be the solution for the main problem? What is the solution that, that is offered to us? What is the solution that Jesus offers us? Okay, now, when we think about mind, um, often the first thing that comes to mind is information. Information. And information is a problem. But I want to ask the question, is information our main problem? I, I got to say, I, I wish it were. I wish it were. I wish information were our main problem because that would make my job really easy. Because all I'd have to do is stand up here and, and, and tell you, you know, something like, uh, like, like, hey, stop all that unwholesome talk and, and stop, stop tearing people down. Instead, build people up. And then there'd be this collective like, oh, oh. And then all of us would say, thanks for that new information, Josh. And then we'd go do it. We'd all live happily ever after. But we all know our problem isn't just a lack of information, is it? In fact, we live in a day and age where a junior hire with a cell phone has more information, access to more information than, than all of the scholars of antiquity combined, right? Information is available to us, and how's that working out for us? If information were the problem then Jesus' solution would be no more. Like, like, just go learn some more. We'd all be going to seminary. It, it, it would just work to go to more and more classes and to take in more and more information. But is that what Jesus offers? Is that what Jesus says? I don't think so. So, I'm going to ask you now that you've written it down to cross it off. That's, that's not the answer. It's not the solution. So maybe if, if you know, information isn't the main problem, 
Maybe actually doing the thing that we know to do is the problem. That maybe our problem is a problem of the will. Or maybe our problem is a problem of willpower. We don't actually have the willpower to carry out what we know to do. And that, that, that sounds possible. Because the question is, can you follow out all the things that you know you should do? I can't. And, and it's true, we have scripture on this. Uh, Romans chapter 7 is a, is a chapter about this. That, that Even Paul's saying, I, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I keep doing. Right? There's a willpower problem. There's definitely a willpower problem. But if willpower was our main problem, then Jesus' solution would be try harder. Hey, everybody, just work a little harder at it. Jesus' message would have been, just just try, get out there and come on, keep working at it. If that were the case, Jesus would have said, blessed are the strong in spirit. Blessed are the, the, the resolute in heart. We decide and we do it. But Jesus doesn't say that, does he? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the pure in heart. And so, once again, let's cross off willpower. It's not the main problem. Maybe it's a combination of these two. You know, if you have information and then you, you act it out, um, that's commonly known as morality. You're a moral person. You, you understand what to do. And maybe that's our problem. But if you, you see where I'm going here, if morality was our main problem, then Jesus' solution would be, just do better, people. Come on, Emmanuel Faith. Do better. Why aren't you doing better? We've had all the information. I've been telling you to try harder now. Now just do better. But once again, let's cross that off as well. Uh, Now, uh, let me be clear. I have, and I'm going to speak for myself here, and you can join me in this if you want, but I have an information problem. I I could no more. I have a willpower problem. I do not do the things that I know that I should do all the time. And I definitely have a morality problem. So it's, you know, it's kind of true. I could no more. I I could probably try harder, and and I, I could do better. There's no doubt about that. Those are problems, but they're not the main problem. They're not our main problem. In fact, if we, uh, if, we try, if we try to solve our problems in these ways, this is the way that everybody tries to solve their problems. Everybody in this world tries by just knowing more, by trying harder, by, by, do, by, by doing better. That's the way that the Gentiles would have done it. That's the way Americans do it. That's the way of the world. We, when we have a problem... We go and we just try harder. Okay, we go, we learn more. We, we just, uh, we, we grit our teeth and we go and do better. That is the way that the Gentiles live. And once again, Paul is saying, there is a better way. Don't keep living the way that you have always lived. Don't live as if you haven't been changed because you have. You are different now. In order to help them 
Remember that Paul uh, tells us to think of this new identity that we have as if it were an outfit that we put on. And I think you should think about that as a daily thing. Look what he says. He says, uh, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Okay, take it off. It, it, it's been corrupted by its deceitful desires anyway. So, so to be made new is what he's telling them in the attitude or literally the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What he's saying is take off the old, put on the new. Now, I don't know if uh, anyone else here will be able to relate to me in this, but, uh, but I'm one of those people who uh, knows that I should get to the gym and try to work out as much as I, I could, and probably pretty regularly I should do that. I know that. In fact, I even can set aside time to do that. But I, I'm one of those people who often find myself sitting on the couch sipping coffee when I could be working out. I'm guessing no one relates to me in that. Uh, and, and, but I found something interesting, and, and that is this. When I get out of bed in the morning, and when I put on my, my workout clothes, when I put on workout clothes, I'm actually much more likely to actually go and work out. Go figure. When I put on pajamas... I'm much more likely to sit on the couch and sip coffee, which is kind of nice sometimes, right? But, but I just want to point out that, that actually the putting on the clothes in the morning is an act of faith. You know, that's what faith is, 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 is believing and hoping about what's actually true, what's going to come, it's being hopeful for what is. And so what, what I'm saying when I'm putting on clothes, I am not working out when I'm putting on clothes. I am not the person that works out, but what I'm believing by faith is that I can become the person who works out. What I'm saying is I start living as the person that I want to become. And I think this is what Paul's telling us. He's saying, yeah, you're not fully the person that, you, that, that God's created you to be yet, right? You're, you're not completely like God in true and in full righteousness and holiness. You're not there, but start living like you are. Start putting on the clothes because what God is saying to you is God, God is saying, I've made you this way. I have made you new. You are a new creation. This is what I've declared you to be. And what Paul is doing, the same thing that he's done throughout this book, is he is giving us a new vision for what life could be. He's given us a new vision. This is who you can become. It's who God has already declared you to be, but you can actually become that. And that's, that's actually what we really need. What most people are, are in this world, myself included, we, we do not have a big enough vision for what life could be. Our vision is too small. We don't think that, we don't think that we can actually become all that God wants us to be. We don't think that life can be the, 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 the abundant life that he tells us it can be. In fact, oftentimes our vision about the future is something very far off. Maybe even something only about when we die. Okay, that, that's a good thing. 
But what Jesus has for us is so much more. The mind that is given to a new vision is a mind that is formed, as verse 21 says, in accordance with the truth. Accordance with the truth. It is a mind formed around truth, and that is the truth in Jesus. Our problem is a lack of vision, and so Jesus gave us the truth. And yet, I say that Jesus gave us the truth... uh, I don't want you to just think about ideas. Okay? I don't want you to just think about statements or you know, propositions or doctrine. Okay? All good things, and those things can be true. But when I say Jesus gave us the truth, what I'm saying is that Jesus lived the truth. Jesus embodied the truth. That in Jesus, the way that Jesus lived, His entire person, the way He acted, the way He thought, Jesus' heart, Jesus' eyes, Jesus' touch, Jesus' demeanor. This is what it means that Jesus embodied the truth. If we could take all that makes Jesus and sum it up, that would be the most condensed form of the truth that ever existed. And this is what Paul is telling us. This is the vision for life that we can have. The vision is Jesus. He wants you to be like Jesus. But apparently, even those of us who have trusted in Jesus, who have given our lives to Him, that apparently we can still, as verse 18 says, we can still live separated from the life of God. Because remember, He's writing to Christians. And he's saying, stop living this way. Stop living separated from the life of God. So apparently that can happen. And that gets at our, I think, even a deeper problem. A deeper problem is that we have a problem of separation. We have, we were born separate. And we kind of carry that in. We've been separated from the life of God. But when those of us who have the Spirit of of God in our lives, when we live as people who are separated from God, even though God is in us, that is when even God looks at us and says, that makes me sad. That is what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. See, right here in verse 30, in the middle of this list of of kind of ethical commands, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You have been sealed. Okay, The, The Holy Spirit is in you. If you've trusted on the name of the Lord, of Jesus, then because of His death and resurrection, your sins have all been washed clean, and the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? It's when we live as if that didn't happen. So we go on and continue to chase after the wind. See, Paul's point here, 
is that you were sealed. You can somehow live separated from the life of God, but you are not separated from the life of God. Our problem is a broken relationship. Our problem is this separation. And and Jesus' solution was to give us the Spirit. That the Spirit of Almighty God lives in you. And so you do not have to live separated anymore. See, the main challenge of this passage is, is not to just know more, try better, you know, try harder, work, do better, in order to become something that you are not yet. That's the way of the world. It is actually uh, to live in the truth by the power of the Spirit to actually become who you've already been declared to be. Way to say that. To live like the new creation that you already are. You have been made new. Now he's saying live like it. And from this passage, I, I, see, I see three simple ways that we can begin doing that. The first one, first one is, is kind of actually to recognize where the problem lies. Because the problem of this world is not out there. The problem of, of the world is not somewhere else. The problem of the world is right here, right? I, I am the problem. And so we need to question our natural tendencies, right? This is, this is what he's talking about here. Okay, we have, you know, we have a mind that is kind of formed in this, these old patterns. And we've got to question those things. We're not just supposed to do what comes naturally that's a dangerous thing to do unless, you, unless you've been so formed in truth that you've continued to, to, to live this life, that you've built these habits. Because there is hope that one day you can become someone who, who what comes naturally is the things of, of Jesus. And in order to develop those habits, I think the second thing that I want to tell you to do is to practice Jesus-y truth. Did you know that Jesus could be used as an adjective? It can. And, and, and this is the, I, I want you to, to know, this is a very particular kind of truth. This is the kind of truth that Jesus lived. This is living out this stuff, the way that Jesus lived. This means thinking about people the way Jesus thought about people, caring for people the way Jesus cared for people. It, it, it means uh, helping them before they're able to help themselves. Before they get it all figured out, it means loving and caring for them, even when they're having problems. The way that Jesus lived, that's practicing Jesus-y truth. To be Jesus-y people, who people see us and say, that's a Jesus-y person. That's what we practice. And that's one of the ways that we stop chasing after the wind. But i got to point out that that whole idea of chasing after the wind, uh, I want to suggest to you that, that I'm talking about that in, with a little bit of a double meaning. Because I don't want you to chase the wind in futility. But actually, I, I do want to challenge you to chase the wind. But I'm not talking about the stuff that blows in the air. I'm talking about the very breath of God that gives life to dead things. The breath of God that breathed in life into you when you trusted in Him. The breath of God that breathed life into Adam. The breath of God 
is what I want you to chase. See, the, the, a common metaphor actually about, from the Old Testament and New Testament about the Holy Spirit is the wind. That the wind is compared to the Holy Spirit. And so what I'm telling you is I want you to chase the Holy Spirit of God. That that's what we're to do. And in order to do that, we need to, we need to become sensitive to the Spirit's leading in our lives. That the Spirit is leading. He's there with you. You are not alone. You're no longer separated. So you don't need to keep living like it. I got one more dance story, if that's all right. Uh, when I was in college, some friends, uh, we signed up for a, uh, a dance class, an Arthur Miller dance class. They gave like a special deal to uh, college students. And once we showed up, we knew why, because we dropped the median age down by about 40 years. But uh, we learned ballroom dancing and it was a lot of fun. I knew nothing about ballroom dancing, but sure enough, I started learning. And one of the things you learn is that uh, the, the man's responsibility is to lead. The, the, the woman's responsibility is to follow. Now, both of them can be difficult at times, but I've got to admit that the, the woman's job is a little harder. They're the ones that get dipped all the time. They're the ones that get twirled around. They're the ones that do all the moving. And yet... In order to do this well, there's a big difference between dancing alone in your room and dancing with someone else. You've got to actually be in sync with each other. You've actually got to listen. And sometimes even the little gestures. If I raise my hand in just the right way, I'm communicating to her that she's going to go under here. Right? And, and if I get any of these things wrong, if I start thinking, doing the wrong gestures, if she starts not listening to me well, she's going to go that way and I'm going to go this way. And then we're not going to be moving smoothly across the dance floor the way that we were designed to dance, right? Now, here's what I'm saying. You and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, we do not dance alone anymore. This is not a dance that God is calling you to go figure out on your own. It is not up to you just to know more, to, to, to try harder, to do better. You have a dance partner. And, and your role is not to lead. Your role is to follow. My role is to follow the Spirit's lead in our life. My role is to, is to listen and to look for the movement of the Spirit. My goal is to get into sync with the music of the Spirit. My goal, our goal, is to dance throughout life the way that Jesus danced throughout life. And I think if we do that, that'll give us a, a vision for what life could be for all that God has for you. Because we want to live the way Jesus lived. And, and that brings us to the table as we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Because the most beautiful thing he's done for us is to give himself on the cross for you and for me.